This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. There's a mass strike against cities across Ukraine going on right now as the Russian military um, undertakes retaliation for the attack on the bridge to Crimea. You may have seen some of the pictures of that. The link, the one link between Crimea and Russia was essentially blown up with Ukraine's forces taking credit for that. And in return now, you are seeing today missiles rain down on cities across Ukraine. And we are talking residential areas. In one case, you know, Ukraine says a children's playground was hit so let's get an update now on the situation. Jeff McCausland joins us now, CBS military analyst. Jeff, thanks for being back with us. Great pleasure with you. So, okay, is this? Are we seeing a real acceleration here of this this dispute? I think we're seeing an escalation. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Vladimir Putin himself came out and described the attack on the Kerch Bridge as a terrorist attack, and that there would be a, a massive response. So now we see this, as you described, the striking up to. 10 major cities all across Ukraine, several of which had not been struck in several months. Most of that, not all of that, focused on civilian infrastructure. As a consequence, we see apartment houses being being hit. In, in the city of Kiev, it's already reported at least five people have been killed. And I would have imagined that those particular numbers will go up. Mr. Putin, I would argue, doing this for two reasons. One, in response to this very symbolic, but really public humiliation occurring with the attack on the bridge the day after his 70th birthday, which is also strategically important for them in moving men, material, fuel, etc., from Russia to their forces in Crimea. So he's got to respond to right-wing criticism in Russia. And then secondly, I think, once again, what he's trying to do is, is destroy the willpower of the Ukrainian people to resist. This is sort of like the blitz over London by the Germans as they tried to break the willpower of the British during the Second World War. Right. And, and when it came to that bridge, too, that was uh, blown up by Ukrainian forces, they they clearly, the Russian military had gone out of their way to talk about how well fortified this bridge was. What happened? What happened, it appears to have happened, was it was a truck bomb. It was just going across the bridge and was detonated, unclear whether the driver abandoned the vehicle or even was unaware that there was a bomb on board that particular truck. It looked to me like it was also timed very carefully because it occurred at the same time that a train was passing in the opposite direction, which had some fuel cars on it to make the secondary explosions even larger. There are reports that the Russians have gotten the bridge back into into operation, at least in part. There are four lanes, two in each direction for traffic, car traffic. At least one lane has been reopened. And then there's a railway span, which is probably most important in terms of resupply. And there seems to be suggestions that they're getting that particular part of the bridge back into operation as well. Okay. And yet, you know what, this seems like once again, though, if, if Russia thinks that, you know, the Ukrainians are going to bow down with this missile strike, you're not seeing that this morning, are you? No, not at all. And then on the consequence, I think what we're seeing is likely to be Ukrainian resistance stiffening. And it occurs, of course, at the same moment that we see the Ukrainians being very successful in counteroffensives around Kharkiv and moving into Luhansk and Donetsk provinces, recovering some thousand square miles or so in that area, as well as being successful down in the south in the city, around a city called Kherson, just north of Crimea, where they've secured about 500 square miles. And this comes at the same time we see Russians retreating, in some cases in great disorder, in some of their best best units, paratroop unit, first guards, tank army, one of their divisions, 
uh, retreating in, in really bad disorder, abandoning equipment. In some cases, uh, Russian tanks left on the side of the road with the engine still running as the crew ran away. So it occurs against that backdrop of success tactically and operationally by the Ukrainians on the battlefield. Is there any concern for Russia here, Jeff, that this might backfire for them, that, that this might, you know, engage other, you know, support for Ukraine? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, clearly one of their concerns is trying to hold off or maintain as much international support or at least international ignoring of what they're doing. Uh, so they're concerned about countries in the so-called global south, India, countries in Africa and so far that have not participated in the economic sanctions or even the public condemnation uh, of Russia for what they're doing. The Chinese as well will be a great concern. The Chinese have come out and said that they are willing to offer good offices to uh, bring this war to a close. They've talked about the sovereignty of all states is inviolable. But, of course, you can read that two ways, as Russia now claims these provinces, and that's the way uh, Chinese diplomacy works with a, a bit of studied ambiguity. But it seems clear that their support for Mr. Putin in his aggressive war in Ukraine is also waning. All right. So seriously, I guess there is a lot of concern here then, Jeff, over the next little while about what happens next. Are they going to continue this onslaught of missile strikes? Certainly could, uh, without a doubt. And they've lost a lot of their precision-guided weapons. So unfortunately, these would be a lot of dumb weapons with less accuracy. But again, they're focusing on civilian population areas, so they may not be that worried about that. Uh, they could also horizontal, horizontally escalate. We could see more efforts to interrupt or threaten the interruption of energy. I believe the strikes on the Nord Stream pipeline that occurred a week or so was likely the Russians <clears throat> suggesting to the Europeans they can hit a number of pipelines in that area. Uh, there have the agreement with Saudi Arabia to raise the price of oil as part of that. They could shut off the export of Ukrainian grain coming out of Odessa, which was agreed to back in June. They could do that. We could see a cyber attack. We could see efforts by the Russians to foment problems in the Balkans or with Moldova. There's a number of ways that he can horizontally escalate or, of course, the concern of vertical escalation, and that is the possibility of him using a nuclear weapon. Right, which is something they have threatened in the past. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time this morning. My pleasure. This is Mornings with Simi. We've talked a lot about hate crimes over the last couple of years. Well, this week we're going to get an update on that as hate crime numbers for the city of Vancouver are expected to be released. And that area that we monitor quite closely, of course, is Chinatown. They've had several incidents, some very high-profile cases in the last couple of years too, whether it was random assaults or businesses being vandalized with racist graffiti. This is one of the city's oldest neighborhoods, and it has continued to see problems and an uptick in crime. So what needs to change? Well, given that we do have an election coming up in a few days here, that is the question. And there are lots of questions for the candidates who would like to be councillors and mayor. What do businesses in the area want from city leaders? Joining us now to talk about that is Lorraine Lowe, Executive Director for the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden. Lorraine, thank you for being with us. Hi, Sumi. Thanks for having me. Do you feel, have, have the people who are running for office this time around in Vancouver, have they been responsive to the concerns of the community? 
Uh, I mean, there are certain parties that are very responsive and supportive. Um, I would say, you know, what's been happening in the last, I I mean, in the last several years, you know, we need that attention in Chinatown. And, you know, fortunately, there are some groups that are very supportive. Okay, but so does that mean that you've tried to put questions to all the candidates? What kind of responses have you gotten? Well, we've got some really positive responses. Um, uh, in particular, I don't want to be naming it particular names of each party, but, you know, some really address the concerns that we have head on, which is, you know, we, we need more boots on the ground. Like, I mean, in Chinatown, you, we keep hearing people say that, but, you know, the reality is that's what we need. And, you know, there's a lot of Asian elders in the area, the seniors, they're scared to come out of their homes. And, you know, for them, for us, you know, we've just, it's part of our culture that, you know, we're very law-abiding. There's this whole model myth minority um, of us, you know, having, like, a a class of privilege. But, you know, generally, we're low-key, and, you know, we we need that that sense of public safety. And I think for us, for our culture, for our community, that's more boots on the ground. Okay, so what have you seen happening at the Garden over the last couple of years? Well, I mean, there's a whole sense of deterioration and, like, urban decay of the whole neighbourhood. And, you know, it's hard because we can't accept this to be normal anymore. And these hate crimes, they've been remaining high since pre-COVID times. And according to the stats, you know, I was looking at at that, that suggests that, you know, Chinatown is known to be uh, a, a, a target for quite some time. So, you know, this unfortunately you know we we are getting dismissed by certain activist groups who are very anti-police and you know since you know the start of these attacks in our communities who stood by us in solidarity it's the police and that's a fact you know we're we're very supported and you know we're being bullied and harassed showing the appreciation for being law-abiding citizens and you wonder kind of what a twisted world we're living in now. Okay, so are you saying that, so every time you've raised concerns, I know we've seen the stories about, you know, the racist graffiti, things like that. Do you get, do you actually get pushback from people just by raising those concerns? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's gaslighting. The most recent thing, very disturbing. You know, I'm having lunch in Chinatown yesterday, and, you know, I see posters of one of the candidates um, whose eyes are gouged out and slanted out. And, you know, there's like really awful things that were written in the posters. And, you know, there's just a lot of propaganda out there. And, you know, it's really triggering for people like me. You know, it brings us back to a time when we were kids. You know, the eye pulling. And, you know, when you go into the yearbook and you see, like, a defacement and it's usually right. the eye. So for me, it's very triggering and it hits a nerve. Do you feel safe walking around Chinatown? I do not feel safe, and I've said it many times. You know, I've walked down the street. I'm extremely vigilant. My colleagues are as well. You know, we've had several incidences in the last while that, you know, it's not reported on the stats. And, and you know, it, it's scary because you just don't know when that moment of, of opportunity is for somebody to, to strike when you're walking down the street. So, yes, extremely vigilant. you got to really have eyes in the back of your head. Okay, so what, what do you want the candidate? to know then, Lorraine? What do you want them to hear from you? Uh, First thing, we can't keep conflating crime and poverty. Uh, You know, we need to address the concerns. We need to have some sort of accountability, consequences, 
And, you know, it, it's ridiculous right now. You know, everybody, it's a revolving door of justice. It's frustrating for everybody. It's not sending a message. We need to start looking at ways to work together with the other three levels of government and addressing, like, you know, the VPG, their hands are tied. They make the arrest. The guy gets out, like, literally hours after the arrest. So, you know, I do want a sense of accountability. I want more boots on the ground and, and services for mental health. Like, that's what we're seeing a lot of right now on the street. Is there, like, a visible police presence down there? Is there enough, do you think, of a of, of visible presence of just people who might be able to help out? I think it, it's it, you see police driving around. I think it's more important to have a visible police presence with boots on the ground in Chinatown, walking around what we've seen in San Francisco, the community coming together and just having, you know, the, the support from the community with the police working together with the residents and also, you know, getting to know the unhoused and, and building that commu- sense of community. I'd like to see that. So you're saying out of the cars, walking the beat. Absolutely. And making those relationships and building the trust with the community. Now, have you talked to the police about that? Absolutely, we have. And, you know, we we recently went and traveled down to San Francisco. And, you know, the city needs more like what we saw in San Fran, which was a huge success. The guards clean up the graffiti, murals, you know, resourcing for policing and security. And I think we just need to create that societal consensus and that community buy-in. So we need to build that positive relationship again and, you know, finding the right people and the right leaders to, to lead those programs. How critical do you think this election is? I just feel like, Lorraine, this time around, this municipal election, whether it's Surrey, whether it's Vancouver, no matter where people live, there's a lot of, you know, interest in this. There is, and because we are, we need meaningful change, you know, there's, and, and you know, uh, on October 15th, like, I think, you know, there's going to be a huge turnout, especially within the Chinese Canadian community. Um, you know, we've, we've got a 500% increase in anti-Asian crimes that's documented, and, you know, we've got nothing more than platitudes. So, you know, I'm hoping that there's going to be some changes coming, and they're good changes, and, you know, we need to take our city back. Lorraine, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you, Simi, for having me. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, Municipal Election Day is just five days away. And right across BC and Metro Vancouver, you know, the issues have been fairly similar. You talk housing, affordability, development, and of course, public safety. So this week, we turn our attention to the mayoral race in Surrey, and we will be focusing on public safety. In Surrey, these issues have been in the forefront there in that community for years. Replacing the Surrey RCMP with a municipal police force was a huge promise in the election of 2018. Having enough officers, getting the whole system up and running, and whether it even should be up and running at this point, all of that once again front and center in 2022. And most importantly, will this make a difference in that community? Will people be safer or will people feel safer? Will you feel safer as a result? So all this week, we are talking with the major mayoral candidates in Surrey. Today, we start with Gordy Hogue, candidate for Surrey First. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Thank you, Sammy. So what are residents telling you about their safety concerns? Well, as we talk on doorsteps and talk on the streets, that it's one of the prevalent issues is, is public safety and the issues and concerns that they see. They see crime, they hear crime, the media covers crime, and they're concerned. 
quite concerned. And, and I think contextually, we, we need to understand that, that Surrey is the size of Vancouver, Richmond and Burnaby combined. And uh, we have more than 300 families uh, joining us each month and up to 1500 people. And the Doug McCallum and his team haven't hired a police officer in the last four years. We've got 843 police officers and Vancouver has close to 1,500. Do you support the transition to a municipal police force? I believe that the transition, right, right now we can't get enough data. We, we can't get information in terms of what's happening. Doug McCallum and, uh, and Brenda Locke ran together. They were elected together. They voted together. They voted to, to start that transition and then, then Brenda flipped on it. And so now... Doug is saying we're going ahead with it regardless of the facts and regardless of the information. And Brenda's saying if she's elected, it'll be a full stop. But I believe that we need to have the data and information. It's what we receive now is just all over the map, everywhere from 200 million to go. And, and we just don't know. So I, I support having a, a full inquiry into it in terms of getting a, a review. So until we know the exact facts and then taking it back to the public so that they can be involved with the decision. I don't think it should be limited to just to Brenda and Doug making that decision. That's a really important decision that people should be involved in. Are you talking about having a referendum now? How soon would that happen if you were elected mayor? Well, if we were able to uh, get that uh, review done uh, and get an update in terms of the actual facts, then we could go very quickly into that process based on, on the information we receive. Okay, though, what do you do in the meantime? Because you're talking about once again slowing things down, and you just said there's not enough police officers already. So what does that do to help people feel safer in Surrey? Well, in, in fact, we would have to proceed with with looking at, at the hiring that we're having. Uh, so there could be a stop. But we've been sitting like this for over four years now, and, and the challenges are existing. And I, I, I started out my career as a probation officer in, in Surrey, I used to ride with, actually it was in Wally, I used to ride with the RCMP one weekend a month. And we went to all the domestic violence and all the issues around that. Uh, so it was a very interesting way to learn. And then I was the director of our largest youth jail for 12 years looking at that. And, and I recently uh, had finished my doctorate and became an adjunct professor in criminology at Simon Fraser. So I've been able to look at it at a, at a broad perspective. And uh, and I think I've got a fairly good understanding of what's happening there. And, and we actually, we re- need to proceed. Over 30% of the crimes that are being committed are committed as a result of, of addictions and mental health issues. Uh, so we, and the police officers have been removed from the schools. So there's a lot of things that need to be done. Uh, we can take a quick pause to move forward. So make sure that we do it properly based on evidence and research rather than ramp, running a forward without having that type of background and data. You've talked about adding, what, 300 police officers to Surrey? 300 over the next four years. That's correct. Okay. And how much would that cost and where would that money come from? That would cost about uh, 20 million or 15 million a year over the, the course of doing that. And that money would come out of, of the overall budget. Uh, there's been, uh, Doug McCallum is talking about freezing uh, budgets at about 2.9%, but it's not realistic because there's, there's a, a parcel tax that goes on to each piece of property as well. So as I talk to people, they say, oh, yes, he said he's going to limit it to 2.9 the last year, but they see how much higher it is. I've heard people say their, their, their taxation went up as high as 16%. But that is because it's the parcel tax that's tied into it. So it's a little bit misleading to say 2.9% when you avoid the parcel tax. Okay, but when we're talking about public safety issues, you talked about officers in schools. I mean, Surrey has also you know, dealt with a lot of gang-related shootings, gang-related issues. What does more police officers do to help with that? How do you tackle that problem? 
Well, I think that there, there are two things going on. Firstly, is the issue of prevention. So what do you do in terms of models of prevention? And then how do you look more specifically at the issues of, of, of responding to, to gang activity and the gang as you're referencing? Uh, I sit on a terrorism, violence and security institute at Simon Fraser, and we work with, with Australia, United States, New York, London, Israel and Western Europe. And what's unique about the gang activity in, in our area is that the majority of the gang members come from very wealthy families. The only other jurisdiction in the world that has that same dynamic is, is Western Europe. So there's some activities that we need to look at in terms of addressing it differently than, than in, in other areas. So looking at targeting policing, being targeted in specific areas, there's different ways of, of looking at police activity. So orienting the police towards uh, positive problem solving, looking at deterrence issues with the policing, uh, policing into the hot spots that exist, uh, stopping and, and frisking, all of these things in terms of dealing with situational problems of crime, all of those have an influence in terms of how, how the police approach things. So again, getting out of their car, being able to, to walk some of the beats in some of the metropolitan areas where we're hearing businesses saying that they're getting a lot of issues and graffiti and challenges for them. So th those are some of the things that uh, I think need to be taken, including looking at the penalties that are imposed. We've also talked, I think, over the years about keeping kids busy, right? Keeping kids engaged. How does Surrey propose to do that when a lot of people talk about the lack of infrastructure, the lack of new community centers, the lack of places for kids to go? Well, uh, I started Kidsport in Surrey, I think about seven or eight years ago. And through Kidsport, we, they, do a, they do a great job. They, uh, they fund kids who want to get involved in, in sports, but their family can't afford it. So I think they raised about $175,500 last year. And I think it was something like 532 kids that were in, involved in that. So we, we, knew, we know that the activities are important. One of the things that we, we do propose is that, that we would make uh, the gyms, uh, recreation centers and rinks free to, to all of the the youths of, of Surrey and giving them a chance to be actively involved in those and mixing with people and getting that going on. It's, it's the culture and the activity and the recreational opportunities that, that help build that positive sense of growth and positive sense of community and engagement in a positive way as opposed to that's a preventative strategy, which I think is well worth every penny. So on a final note then, since we're talking about public safety, why should people vote for you? Well, firstly, I think that we have a remarkable team. Uh, we've got a, a team that has extreme experience. They, they understand the system. Uh, one of the things that I've, one of the all candidates meeting, I was at somebody said, well, why don't all the candidates just post what they, what they want to do on the wall? And, and so I said, you mean if I were to do some polling and post that on the wall, you'd vote for me? And I said that uh, there's, a, there's a dynamic issue that exists between somebody's policy and, and who they are, the messenger and the message. So I think one of the important things about our team is every one of them has been involved in the community in a volunteer way, in a working fashion. Every one of them cares about this community. It's not just coming along saying, I want to be elected and here's my policy. There's a dynamic relationship between their values and how they've lived their lives and the policies that, they're, that we're standing for collectively. And we have signed a contract. Every member of our team has signed a contract with the community saying, here are the things we're going to do. Hold us accountable. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you so very much. Have a good day. Happy, Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Mornings with Simi.